What's good, people? It's us again. Imagine that. You tuned in to the Big Dudes in the Trenches, and you found the Big Dudes in the Trenches, as all things should be. It's almost like you asked for it. I know. I certainly hope you did, because that would help our numbers out. So, <laughs> But, you know, we still don't have a tug. We're still working on that. Uh, I'm assuming he will be back next episode, which is a good thing, because we'll have to talk about these conference championship games after they happen. Nice little review there with Tugster back in the action. Uh, but Fingers crossed. This episode, it's me and Bug, and we're going to preview those exact conference championship games. We also have a ton of NFL news to get through, a teens of some other news as well. Spent a lot of time talking about the NFL this week, so let's go ahead and dive on in. Let's do it, man. We got a ton to get into. There are a lot of uh, hirings and some retirements, and one expected, one unexpected. It's been it's been crazy. Well, more than just the two retirements as well. I mean, there's all sorts of different things to talk about. So, okay, I think we need to stick with podcast tradition and start with the most pertinent news which, of course, involves the Chicago Bears. <laughs> I'm telling you, after the draft, we got to pick a different team. I don't know how this started, but we're picking a different team after the draft. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm down for it. But, yes, <laughs> let's go ahead and start with the Bears here. I'm going to introduce the guys that they hired, uh, run through a couple of stats about them, give you guys an idea of who we're talking about here, and then let Bug loose. That's kind of going to be our format for all these, right? They'll give you an introduction. I'll tell you a little bit about their backgrounds. Then Bugs analysis. All right, so let's start with the general manager, Ryan Poles. This man is coming over from the Kansas City Chiefs as their executive director of player personnel. Former offensive lineman. Didn't really make it in the NFL, but he played for Boston College, and that's pretty incredible. Big dudes in the office. That's, that's awesome. Love it. Um, and I honestly don't know what else to say about him. As he's a GM candidate, you don't find out too much about these guys until they're actual general managers. Um, actually true about their salary, too. You make like hundred grand a year until you're a GM, and then it's like six mil a year. So that's exciting. I'm sure this guy's very happy with his raise. The other guy the Bears hired really quickly after the GM is their new head coach, Matt Eberflus. This guy has been a candidate for a couple of years, actually, for several different teams, but it is his first head coaching job. Former defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. Most recently, he was also a defensive coordinator at one time for Missouri. That's the University of Missouri. He was a position coach for the Dallas Cowboys uh, the Cleveland Browns, and for the University of Toledo in his day as well. He was brought to Indianapolis with Frank Reich in the 2018 season and really turned around that defense. It was a pretty awesome defense as of late, just with four different quarterbacks. It's hard to have too much sustained success. That defense was not the problem in Indianapolis, and it's probably good for you to see some return to form the Defense has to be the staple Chicago football, it feels like, for any any kind of success. So with that introduction out of the way, what do you think of these hires? 
So first things first, in True Bears fashion, they fire Matt and Ryan to uh, hire Matt and Ryan because why else would they do something different, right? The only thing better they can do is their eventual head coach needs to be Matt Ryan. <laughs> the memes, the memes would never stop at that point, and the the memes for this have been good as well, uh, so far as well. Look, this really come a full circle for Ryan Poles. You know, he started uh, his NFL journey on the practice squad for the Bears back in 08. So I don't know how much that played into it. I don't know if it played into it at all, but it is cool to see. I know there was another candidate, I think, for head coach, maybe GM. I remember talking about him. He had been a ball boy for the Bears as a kid, right? Mm. So this is awesome to see that finally got somebody with a little bit of familiarity with the organization. Uh, A couple things – that maybe maybe we're made too big of, especially looking at different Chicago media outlets. But, you know, George McCaskey picked him up from the airport. In O'Hare, walked in, picked him up, took him back. But he flew in commercial, which when you compare to the fact that they, George McCaskey and Ted Phillips flew out private to go meet with Matt Nagy and bring him back to Chicago, it's kind of a weird thing. Definitely something people I think are reading too much into. Yeah, I don't know. I it's, it's out there enough that I was like, well, okay, I'll say something about it. But my biggest thing is this, and we had a conversation about this. If you want to rehash it, I'm happy to do so. He said going into the interview that he wanted full control over coaching and who they would hire. That's not exactly what he said. That's the spirit of what he said. But the way he said it was what I took issue with in our conversation that you're alluding to there. He basically said, either I get full say in the head coaching hire, or I'm going to walk across town. I'm going to go take the Minnesota Vikings job and your loss. (laughs) Now, as an owner, I would have said, okay, you are not my boss. I am your boss here. Let's get that straight. If I want to sit in on a head coaching interview, it's my money. I'm going to do that, and you can't tell me otherwise. But at the same time, the McCaskies haven't proven to be capable of making any football decisions at all. So I kind of understand where he's coming from, and I generally agree that the general manager needs to be the one who picks the head coach. Still, the way he said it was like, man, you just straight up told your owners off. That's in the interview too. That's kind of a rough way to start. I think it needed to be done too, though, at the same time, the bears have been, and the McCaskey family ownership have been more of a money-making thing for them than a let's try and go win a super bowl. And it's definitely felt that way. Fans have felt that way for a few years. This is nothing new. So while it looks like that on the onset, I don't think they call him back and still hire him after he says that if they didn't know his feelings about Matt Eberflus, right? I think that kind of had something to do with it because also shortly after he was hired, it was announced that it looked like Dan Quinn was the front runner for this job. And then literally I see that. And then an hour and a half later, get the notification that they've hired Matt Eberflus. So my guess is, all these guys they had lined up for second interviews, they were brought up in these GM meetings, these initial meetings with all the GM candidates. And being that Eberflus 
Quinn, probably Leslie Frazier, Jim Caldwell, all, you know, these guys that you've been hearing are going to be a finalist for the head coaching job. If they came up in those GM interviews, they probably started going down the list of who do I want more. So I, I like to think that's how it went down and how it happened. It sounds like a power move from him and I'm fine with right. that being, you know, the story that forever gets put out. I hope to God the McCaskies or Ted Phillips doesn't come out and say exactly what I did because that gives it credence and that means that, well, they just got the guy that would do what they wanted to and they right. let him look good for a little bit. So don't want to dwell on that too much. I don't know. Either way, the way that quote came across in text was something I would not have stood for and, you know, as a man. You can't just challenge my authority like that straight up in an interview when I'm the one about to pay you millions of dollars a year. Golly. I, but, I love the move, though, because yeah. it, it has seemed <laughs> too often that everybody just kind of goes with the flow in Chicago because they know they're going to get a job. Right. They know they're going to get paid. And I'm glad to see something like this happen. And, you know, they hired, like I said, Dan Quinn, even when he did not get the Bears job, said, I'm staying in Dallas. I'm not, I'm not pursuing any other head coaching opportunities. So that does show you that the Bears job is highly sought after. Another thing I want to bring up, before getting more into Matt Eberflus, but this ties in pretty well. Ryan Poles is psyched to have Justin Fields at quarterback. Matt Eberflus, uh, one of his positions, his only offensive-related position, was a passing game coordinator for the Cowboys. So this hmm. was uh, – he was passing game coordinator only for a year, 2016 to 2017, so maybe two depending on how those dates are listed. But – He's got a little experience there. I think he knows enough to know what he wants and how he wants to run things, how he wants the offense to look. More importantly, I think he's going to get this defense back on track. He's going to get – because they're not getting any younger, right? Right. Jalen Johnson's right. a great addition. Jalen Johnson's a great addition, but Eddie Jackson has got to work on some things. He's – you know, and then you got to look at the linebackers too. There are way too many times where Eddie Jackson's having to try and make an open field tackle. It feels and like he has probably up, two or three years left of this defense as it is. If yeah. that, and it's like, yeah. and you're pushing the limits right now, but you can get another two or three years out of them if you know how to coach these guys and set up a scheme for these guys. Exactly. So, and Akeem Hicks is probably gone. So right. I, there's a lot going on with this defense age, losing a couple key pieces, and who knows who else they might lose due to cap situations here. I want somebody with a defensive mind ready for that because there are issues on the offense, don't get me wrong. And if we there's if there's no fix for the offense, it won't matter how much he builds up that defense, right? I will say it is kind of a nice situation where you have the youth is kind of concentrated on one side of the ball. Mm-hmm. So you know where to focus your attention with that, right? So Justin Fields, uh, Darnell Mooney, you have to assume Allen Robinson's probably gone at this point. So you have a really Montgomery's young receiving core. Montgomery's a, not that old. Right. And you have a couple of pieces on the offensive line who are still in a rookie contract that you think you can probably work with long-term. So that is a solid foundation of things for the offense, if you have this experience and the, I mean, extreme talent on the defensive side of the ball, like you do, 
that should be a combination that you can win some games with. It's just nothing's really come together for the Bears as several years. It's definitely going to be interesting. And, you know, I saw what Eberflus did to that defense in Indianapolis. That's what got him on the map, on the radar as a potential head coaching candidate. I'm curious to see where this is going to go. And last thing about the Bears, I promise. No clue any any direction they're going to go for offensive coordinator. I doubt Actually, they're going to Contrary. I've heard a rumor and – you know, I hate reporting rumors, but I like this one, so I'm going to say it. Um, they're looking at Philadelphia's passing him coordinator, which I like quite a bit because Justin Fields is the rich man's Jalen Hurts, for sure. To that end, as much as I like Sean Desai, I think he has room to grow. I'm going to report a rumor, too, on the defensive side of the ball that they're looking at Lovey Smith to possibly come back as the oh, coordinator. Gosh. So, <laughs> you know, I'd be a fan of that. Oh, man. I think the city of Chicago would – anybody who's had – you know, there's been very mixed reaction. Everybody was psyched about Ryan Poles. Very few dissenters there. Matt Eberflus has had a very mixed reaction, but if he hires – if, he, if the, he can find a way to hire Lovie Smith as his D coordinator, forget it. He'll be fine. Even as a special assistant on the defensive side of the ball. <laughs> Get him back. In give, the him, give him a nice, cushy office job, one mil a year. <laughs> Just have him in the building. Fans will love you. <laughs> so let's stay in the division and talk about the other big GM hiring in the NFC North. Of course, talking about the Minnesota Vikings. Now, the guy that they just hired is an economics major. There's hope for me yet. Uh, he, of course, he has degrees <laughs> from Princeton and Stanford, so... A little bit different there. He started on Wall Street, headed to the 49ers, and most recently was vice president of football operations for the Cleveland Browns. Of course, I'm talking about Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. And he is, as far as I understand, he's a brilliant analytic mind. How that translates to general manager in the NFL, we have yet to see. I mean, there's not too many examples of this kind of analytics. Everyone likes to point to Moneyball, but even that's a little bit different than what this guy's going to want to do. And the way they've built up the Browns here recently, I mean, they, there's no denying that collection of talent should be successful. It's just there's some weird dysfunctions causing other issues in Cleveland. I would say the way they built the roster is impressive and is certainly a factor in hiring him for the Vikings here. Yeah, and I honestly have no clue how Moneyball would work in the game of football in the NFL, like it's just, I'm sure it could, but it's not a one-to-one comparison, but that's, I know a lot of people are going to jump to that when they hear analytics and how you build a team. So it's absolutely, I don't know. I, I think this could work out very well. I'm interested to see how it turns out. And I really want to see what he does with Kirk cousins immediately because he is way overpaid and yet somehow he still performs. It's creepy. I don't know what to do with him. He's one of the hardest quarterbacks to evaluate in the NFL. I'm not kidding. Him and Derek yes. Carr. It's like, what do you do with these guys? They throw for 5,000 only... yards every year, and yet you can't win a game with them. Exactly. <laughs> it's almost like you need other pieces on your team as well. Right. I know. Crazy. Weird concept. So, 
those two GM hirings that we just talked about, Ryan Poles and Adolfo Mensa. I mean, I don't. I want a way to shorten that, but I don't think there really is one. Uh, Calling Cam, K-A-M. I don't know if he goes by that or not. We could do it. Why not? BDT special. <laughs> Let's give him a call. Uh, <laughs> but since both of those are minority hires, the teams that they have been hired away from will get some compensatory picks as per the new additions to the Rooney rule here recently. So the Browns and the Chiefs will both get two third rounders in back-to-back years. So this year and next year. Interesting rule. I kind of understand it. It's four GM and head coach hires only. So if you build up a guy in your organization and he gets hired away from you, you get a little bit of compensation in return. I don't have too much to say about that rule. It's just a fact of life now, I guess. It's I didn't think that applied to front office, but hey, it does, and Chiefs and Browns are going to be rewarded for it. The other GM hire does not qualify for that. He's a, definitely a white guy. Uh, Joe Schoen is the new general manager of the New York football giants, formerly the Bills assistant general manager. Of course, the Bills have been a lot better than the Giants recently, so try to poach some of that success. He has come out and said publicly that he is interested in building around Daniel Jones. I know there was a lot of speculation that the Giants might be drafting a quarterback this year. You know, give it a year or two, and maybe he'll change his tune about Daniel Jones. But there was certainly enough talent there to draft him in the first place, right? There was a reason people loved him coming out of Duke. So maybe there is something there. Let's see what Joe Schoen can do. I mean, you got that, and it's kind of a thin talent-wise class at quarterback. This is not anything like last year's class or even the year before that. So it kind of makes sense. Why not try and ride it out another year with him? And if they – they keep Jake from there. Maybe you can swap over to him to kind of go back and forth as you have to. So they've got options. That would be fascinating and probably terrifying for Giants fans. Jake from is not that good. Let's be real. <laughs> uh, one other big head coaching hire to talk about here. The Denver Broncos got their guy in Nathaniel Hackett, uh, a former offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. They retained their general manager, if you'll recall. Just let go of Vic Fangio. So now they get an offensive guy to replace him. Nathaniel Hackett has never had a head coaching job before, but he has been the offensive coordinator for Green Bay, Jacksonville, Buffalo, and for Syracuse University in his career path. Um Really came in to Green Bay with Matt LaFleur. Sure did turn around that offense. It was starting to feel pretty stale. And then Aaron Rodgers won another MVP. And they went from a minus 24-point differential before they got there to a plus 63 in year one and a plus 140 in year two. I mean, that's that's a pretty good offense right there. So, hey, maybe Nathaniel Hackett's a huge part of that success. Everybody likes to attribute it to Matt LaFleur because he's the head coach. But at least somebody in Denver believes Nathaniel Hackett can help the Denver Broncos rein in some of that magic. Well, and what's interesting to me is 
the Rodgers and Adams rumors to Denver were out there a couple hours before this announcement came across. So I wonder if they knew something and started, you know, trying to put that out into the universe or if people were just say, Hey, it kind of makes sense. I, I have an issue believing that Aaron Rodgers wants to play the Patrick Mahomes led chiefs or the Justin Herbert led chargers, or even the Derek Carr led Raiders for that matter. I can't twice think of a, a better. Yeah. Twice a year, every year. To that end, though, I can't think of a better division quarterback-wise than the AFC West if that happens. Golly, that'd be freaky stacked. Oof. <laughs> and then the NFC North immediately becomes the worst quarterback division. So, you know. Hey, we haven't seen Jordan Love in action yet. Maybe he's We've seen him enough. We have seen him. Remember Aaron I mean, Rodgers had to miss for COVID? I wasn't counting that, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I was, trust me. So we'll see how Nathaniel Hackett can do in Denver. You know, the first order of business, of course, is going to be finding a legitimate long-term answer at quarterback. It feels like that's been a problem for Denver ever since Peyton Manning retired. So I don't know what you can really do about it right now, other than for trying to bring in Aaron Rodgers. Even that feels more like a three, four-year band-aid, if that actually does happen. We'll see what happens to Denver. And uh, certainly rooting for Nathaniel Hackett. I like that hire, personally. I think he has had uh, quite a bit of hand in the Green Bay's success recently. But I would have loved for him to have ended up in Chicago. Hmm. But I, they, I didn't see any way realistically that they were going to get him. I also would have preferred an offensive-minded coach, but I get the defensive-minded guy as well because of kind of what I talked about. So it's Chicago. It's, it's, it's Chicago. It's a, you know, the plethora of reasons. I, the Broncos, too, they're, they kind of did the opposite of what the Bears did because I think their defense is atrophying quite a bit. Right. Pretty much the same way the Bears is. You know, Kyle Fuller getting older. They traded away Vaughn Miller. It's not what it was, and even Vic Fangio couldn't get that defense to a level where it could help their team as much as he needed to. So they're taking kind of the opposite approach of what Chicago had. You can't If you can't outscore us, then it doesn't matter what our defense does, right? To be fair, in the AFC West, it's an arms race, and they are way behind. Defense Absolutely. isn't really going to save you in the AFC West anymore. It's too much talent on the offensive side of the ball and the rest of that division. <laughs> Yeah, kind of absolutely freaky. true. I will say, though, they do have Pats or Tan, so they have a foundation for a good secondary if they can build off of that. And Bradley Chubb has been successful, you know, obviously more successful when Von Miller was on the field as well. But if you can add another edge rusher, Bradley Chubb can be a pretty nice piece to have. I think there are, there is talent in Denver. It's just, I don't know. I don't know what the issue is other than quarterback. And, and I, I hate I, saying that, but it, it kind of feels true. There's issues all over that offense, man. They we talk about teams not having a run game. They're you know, they're the ones you put on the poster in the front front and center. So that's fair. That is fair. One head coaching retirement to talk about as well. This felt like Ish. it came out of nowhere. But Sean Payton Rumor came out that he was interested in leaving the Saints. 
just stepping away from the team, exploring some options. Nobody knows what that means exactly. And then it happened. He's gone. He's no longer the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. So really bad timing for the Saints because they are the last to the table when it comes to head coaching candidates. And also, what is Sean Payton going to do? Is he going to go to TV? Is he going to get right back into head coaching somewhere? Dallas certainly seems to be interested for some reason. Uh, Chicago was rumored to be interested, even though I feel like that was more of a fan thing than a front office thing. Well, you say that, but apparently Chicago also offered Jim Harbaugh 10 years at $100 million. So I don't even believe that. I, it's just, I, 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 look. I, right. You can't not believe it, but it's also unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I've seen, I've heard that he's stepping away to spend more time and focus on his family life. And if he is, you know, I hope it goes, works out well for him. I, it's, weird that he would leave them at a time like this this is it seems like an odd time to to step away from uh, from the saints here but i don't i don't know i so i don't want to spend a ton of time on this because we still have a couple more nfl stories before getting into anything else but i heard an interesting conversation piece here okay who's a better coach sean payton or mike mccarthy I would probably take Sean Payton. So if you if you had to put one of them in the in the Hall of Fame, do you think either one of them even comes close to qualifying? I have to stop and think about it. But I don't know that I would really vote for either of them right now. Fair enough. It's just it seems like the overarching feeling has been for a while that Sean Payton is this revered coach he's this highly regarded guy and that's why you're seeing him pop up in rumors oh he left hopefully he'll come here right but when mike mccarthy got canned in green bay you didn't see that at all and he's been pretty much regarded as a bust a bum not a great coach here's some interesting statistics for you though both coaches in 15 seasons sean payton went 152 and 89 for a six for a six three one win percentage McCarthy went well McCarthy went 143 92 and 2 for a 608 win percentage. Both had 10 winning seasons. McCarthy actually has the better playoff record, 10 and 9 to Sean Payton's 9 and 8. Both only have one Super Bowl. In the last year, Sean Payton led a team to more than one playoff win, 2009 when they won the Super Bowl. Similarly for McCarthy, 2006 was the last time he won more than one playoff game. I will say, though, I don't think it's fair to say Drew Brees is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. I would say that that's pretty level as well, if not even talent-wise, in favor of Aaron Rodgers. So maybe, I don't know. It is, it's a lot closer than some people are saying. I get your point. And, and you got to look at too, like Peyton is behind on a couple numbers there. Obviously last season without more than one uh, playoff win, they got hosed twice in the playoffs and against the Rams, they w- should have won that game and that would have taken them to the Super Bowl. That would have been their second win. And potentially right. they won that Super Bowl against, uh, it's possible against the Patriots. I don't think they do, but 
either way, it's there's there's a lot there to really break down and look at. I just thought it was interesting because when I heard it, I was like, yeah, I'd never hear anybody say Mike McCarthy's a good coach. So, yeah, I will say there's certainly a point in Sean Payton's favor is that no one was ever able to do that in New Orleans before. The Green Bay Packers have a history and tradition of winning. New Orleans certainly did not. <laughs> they ain't called the ain'ts for nothing. Right. So maybe that's something to take into consideration there. But yeah, that's that's a really close discussion. I wouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame right now. I don't think either one deserves it. It's just it's always it's always been that juxtaposition of Sean Payton, great coach, Mike McCarthy. Right. Why are the why are the Cowboys hiring this guy? Right. <laughs> oh, he slept over at Jerry Jones' house. That's the only reason he gets a job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, do you want to talk about John Harbaugh here for a second? He's apparently close to an extension with the Ravens. I find it interesting that they fired the defensive coordinator and then the week later say, hey, you're getting an extension now. I almost wonder if ownership requested some sort of change. And that's why the firing, because losing Martindale, it felt out of nowhere. Maybe this extension is tied to that. Maybe, I don't know. He is a good coach. I'm not trying to say he's not, but it feels maybe a little bit. All right. You're, you're a good company man too. I mean, it was a bit of a head scratcher of how they just kind of fell apart and missed the playoffs this year anyway. So I don't, I don't know how much you want to point a finger at John Harbaugh specifically for that. I don't know. It's, it's weird. I mean, injuries certainly didn't help them not having JK Dobbins the entire season kind of hurts. Uh, Not having any other running backs. For half the season, certainly heard it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we do have some player retirements to talk about as well. Of course, the big one coming out today is Ben Roethlisberger. 18 seasons in the NFL, all 18 of them with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Man won two Super Bowls, never won an MVP award, but he was a six time Pro Bowler and a two-time leader in passing yards on the season in 2014-2018. Over 64,000 yards in his career, 418 touchdowns to 211 interceptions. 165-81-1 is his career with the Steelers. I have to ask you, where does he rank for the Steelers all the time? Because it's him and Terry Bradshaw, Right. Who's, it's who's him and, number one? It's him and Terry Bradshaw, like by my. I don't know that you can even put anybody else there. What I will say is this: NFL.com, Adam Rank went and ranked all the quarterbacks that have won two or more Super Bowls, of which Big Ben is a member of that, and a, another guy, Eli Manning, is a member of that, who he had ranked higher than Big Ben. But the guy that won four Super Bowls. Terry Bradshaw, he is also ranked higher than Ben Roethlisberger. 
he put Ben Roethlisberger at 10, Terry Bradshaw at 4. I don't feel like the gap's that wide. I don't either, but I think it's when you're when you're looking at and it depends on how you're really looking at it too. If you're looking at Super Bowl performances, yeah, I can see Terry Bradshaw, especially going undefeated in the Super Bowl. I can see that. And uh, as far as Big Ben, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Absolutely. And I'd have to go look. I don't know if Terry Bradshaw is first ballot Hall of Famer. But if he wasn't, then Big Ben will definitely have that over him. My gut reaction is yes. But I want to pull the same kind of comparison that you just did with Sean Payton and Mike McCarthy. Didn't we just have this debate last year with Eli Manning? And everyone kind of agreed, no, probably not. Yep. First thought. <laughs> yep. If they have nearly identical careers. I know. Nearly identical careers. The only real difference being that Ben Roethlisberger had one season he threw for 5,000 yards. Okay, so he he was good. Nobody was denying he was good. Nobody really denied Eli was good either. But they, for some reason, Ben feels like a first ballot and Eli doesn't. I don't know. I I want to say yes that he would be an instant Hall of Famer. But I have a little bit of cognitive dissonance there because I don't really know that Eli Manning is for me. And yeah. I don't know I don't know how to reconcile that. How crazy would that be for Peyton and Eli Manning to be both be first ballot Hall of Famers? Archie sure would be proud. <laughs> it's man, and I think the one thing that we still haven't hit on, and it's probably because we don't want to feel old, but the whole the entirety of the twenty two thousand four draft class yeah. is now retired. Yeah. That's uh Man, yeah, that, that legendary quarterback class, honestly, with the three first rounders there of Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger is the last to go. Man, it's kind of rough. I hate to see it happen, but certainly love to watch them play. They were all fantastic, actually. I mean, legitimately, Philip Rivers was sensational out in San Diego for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Eli Manning did some things at quarterback that will never be replicated. You know, the Super Bowl performances, the stuff of legend forever. And Ben Roethlisberger had a crazy run with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he never, <laughs> he had one losing record his entire career. Unreal. Unreal. And Morgan, I don't know if you're talking about Eli Manning or Ben Roethlisberger, but Eli took two Super Bowls away from Tom Brady. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger took at least one. Did they beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship the other time? I would assume they did. It was either uh, the Patriots or the Colts. Had to be. Well, 2007 was Patriots. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's all around there. It was either the Steelers, the Patriots, or the Colts at the time. Yeah. Like so, they pretty much until yeah, pretty much until the Chiefs went to the Super Bowl for the first <laughs> time a couple of years ago. That's what it it was. Those three. So, man. So one other big retirement here, at least 
for us. Brandon Brooks is gone after 10 seasons in the NFL. Truly, in his prime, one of the best guards in the league. However, during his prime, he only saw the field for like a third of the possible games because of some pretty bad injuries. When he was on the Eagles and when he was on the field, he was sensational. I hate to see him go, but I totally understand it. A 10-year injury-riddled career, that's that's pretty rough. To make it 10 years with all the injuries he had at guard is impressive, though. It's actually pretty admirable, if you ask me. So, hey, you know, congratulations on making it to retirement, still being able to walk and do everything you need to. Hopefully, none of these injuries are going to be that substantial. And I think that probably had something to do with it. Nobody wants to be – no former right. athlete wants to have to rely on a walker or something like that. So get your, get your body right and get back in the studio or on the field coaching. Somehow he only made one Pro Bowl in his career. I would say that's because that was the one season in Philadelphia where he was healthy the whole year. And uh, that's why that. they won the Super Bowl. Right. <laughs> it wasn't Doug Peterson. It wasn't <laughs> Nick Foles. I love that. I love that. Let's spread that rumor. <laughs> It was all Brandon Brooks. (laughs) I did want to shout out that Gronk is also considering retirement. I don't know what that means exactly. He was asked if the decision had to be made today, what would you do? And he said, I would retire today. But I need to think about it. That certainly sounds like somebody who's going to retire. Let's be real, though. He's probably going to do whatever Tom Brady does. And Brady has had some similar comments that he needs to take a hard look at it this year. He's been signing one-year deals, or is it two-year deals since he's been in Tampa? He has another year left on his contract. I think the rest – he technically signed a two-year contract on top of – a two-year extension on top of the two years he signed. So I think he has two years left right now. But one of those is voidable. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I, I'm interested. I'm interested to see if uh there's any potential that if Brady were to leave, if he would be retained by the Buccaneers to coach or do something uh along those lines. But I, it's interesting I don't right really now. see him getting into coaching, honestly. Doesn't feel like a coach to me. And, and again, there, never felt like a buccaneer to me either, and it happened. And he doesn't have anything to prove, right? I mean, if he goes right. and bombs it as a coach, people aren't really going to think about it nobody's too much. Gonna, nobody's going to remember it. And if he goes and does a great job, everybody's just going to be more annoyed by him, you know? So it's – I don't know. It's a, it's a weird <laughs> position for Tom Brady. world is definitely his oyster right now, though. Man. Gronkowski, though. Back to the original guy I wanted to talk about here. Such a weird career for him. And I don't really know how to evaluate him as a player. Again, kind of the same with Brandon Brooks. When he's on the field, he's one of the most dominant at his position that you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. When he's not on the field, you're like, um, okay, you've missed half of the games that you could have played. That's rough. What do you do with Gronk? 
it's tough too because I don't know if it's his character and his charisma that makes me lean towards he's probably still getting into the Hall of Fame eventually. Like I, I think because he absolutely has that caliber of talent. Yeah, I do understand the well. He's hurt ninety percent of the time, and that's very true. Which is another reason why whatever Brady does is what Gronk does. Very realistic possibility makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know. I I don't know. Gronk is Gronk is a wild card, and everybody loves Gronk. According to Tug here in the chat, Gronk is the first ballot Hall of Famer. Done. I mean, I get it. I like the guy. It's just, man, injuries certainly did pile up. I haven't I haven't looked at his numbers, and I would have to look at his numbers to know where he ranks among Tony Gonzalez. Um, Antonio Gates. I mean, there you go. That was, I was like, I was like, I can't think, I know his last name starts with a G. I just can't think of it. (laughs) I mean, you know, he's got to be close to up there and he's, he's absolutely in that conversation. So it's interesting. We'll just have to see kind of where this leads. And again, fully on board with the idea that if Brady is done, he's done. Also got to say, I admire the hell out of him for retiring uh, previously and coming back solely because he didn't want to get traded to the Detroit Lions. And you can't trade me if I'm retired. So retired, and then he came back and uh, regrouped up with uh, Tom Brady there. So You're right, Tug, but people have been held out of the Hall of Fame for injuries derailing their careers in the past. It has happened. I mean, who's the running back that ended up winning MVP with the Broncos? Terrell Davis. He had a very short career thanks to injuries, but he was one of the best running backs of his generation for sure, if not one of the best running backs the Denver Broncos have ever had. And it's a hard hard Hall of Fame conversation. But would you call Gronk's career short? No, not at this point. But he did have a retirement baked in there. there's there's a lot of a lot of variables he just wanted to have his michael jordan moment that's all that was and he did go to wwe that was pretty fantastic that was awesome (laughs) (laughs) well let's go ahead and get out of the nfl news i know this was pretty long but we had some great hirings here uh some sad retirements let's go ahead and jump to the non-nfl pro news and bug i know we got a couple of things to talk about here what do you got? So, uh, it's all USFL this week. And I'll, I will start off a little bit, though. I got a little more clarification on the NFTs for the FCF, if you're interested in that, if that's if you're into that thing. Last year, with the original four teams, you could pick whoever you wanted to be a part of that organization, to be a fan, owner, etc. But the next group of four teams that come in, you have to buy a Ballers Collective NFT. That is what gives you access to being involved with any of these next four NF teams is what they're calling it because it's a cute name. Come on, why not? So if you're interested, this is the first NFT that actually has some real world tangible value, even though the token itself is non-fungible. So if you're into it, it has some more perks than just a cool little picture on your phone that you have forever solely. That's that's where my mind completely, I'm just like, I don't, I don't get it. 
Anyway, USFL, some big news for the USFL. First game tickets are on sale now. It'll be the New Jersey Generals against the Birmingham Stallions on April 16th at Protective Stadium. Tickets as low as $10 for general admission. And you know how there's normally a deal, like if your kid's under this age, you get in for free? What age What age is that normally? Like five? Six, maybe. I've seen, I've seen up to six. I, I've maybe seen eight once. Maybe. Okay. Maybe US, USFL 15 and under get in for free. Their focus is having fans there, but their That's main focus awesome. is television. And yeah, 15 and under get in free. Like you're talking sophomores in high school getting into these games for free. I mean, I just turned 14, so it's perfect <laughs> for me. You look like it. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> blend in perfectly. With the high school crowd, <laughs> no ten bucks ain't bad either, and I love the focus on getting families to attend the games too. One of the huge highlights of the NFL, one of the biggest problems people have with pro sports in general right now, is that if you want to go to a game with your family of four, that's going to be five hundred bucks up oh, yeah. front. And then you have to pay for everything else that you want to do that day. So that's it's really kind of out of reach for most people to do, except for maybe once every couple of years. This, you could go every weekend. You could make it a actual part of your part of your lives. I mean, that's that's a great way to get fans in. I like it. Absolutely, man. And you know, when I when I first wrote these notes, there was some concern, right? Because last week when we announced the next two set of coaches, we still needed two more. It's about 80 days to kick off for this opening game. And there's still two teams that didn't have coaches. It was the Michigan Panthers and the New Orleans Breakers. We it had been announced. <laughs> they found two pretty good ones. And I – I want to say, too, like it was a lot of people were saying, man, this is a red flag for the league. I'm not feeling so good about this anymore. Mm. Because last week, the, these two coaches were announced, announced on the herd with Colin Cowherd today. And last week, same deal. They were saying in advertising they were going to announce four coaches. There was speculation maybe somebody pulled out, and that's why they only announced two instead of three, and then just leaving the one dude by himself. I don't that hasn't been confirmed. I don't know if these guys these two were always the two and maybe they just wanted to keep the USFL name in the news a little bit longer. You know, no news is bad news, right? Only publicity is good publicity. Right. Maybe maybe a little counterproductive here because of how things were received. But these last two coaching hires, we've got a former, we've got an eighty five Chicago Bear coaching the Michigan Panthers, and Jeff Fisher. We have Larry Fedora coaching the New Orleans Breakers. So, obviously, I already said it. Jeff Fisher ended his career. He played his entire career with the Chicago Bears. And I say 85 Bear, he is listed as a player and a defensive assistant to Buddy Ryan. And if you go find some podcasts where Jeff Fisher has talked about his playing career and then the 85 season – an injury basically pushed him into this defensive assistant position, and he learned pretty much everything from Buddy Ryan, who is, of course, one of the greatest defensive minds the game has seen. Right. 
from Chicago. He followed Buddy Ryan to the Eagles as a defensive back coach, defensive coordinator, and then went to the Los Angeles Rams as a defensive coordinator, then to the 49ers as a DB coach again, defensive coordinator and interim head coach for the Houston Oilers. And then he stayed with Houston to become their head coach and lead them into Nashville and Memphis for a little bit uh, to coach the Tennessee Oilers Titans. Of course, taking them to their one and only Super Bowl, where he ironically lost to the Rams, which would be his next head coaching job. And he helped them in their move, too, as they moved from St. Louis to L.A. He's been at Tennessee. Yeah, then, <laughs> then with the Rams, he went 9-7 and seven every year. <laughs> yep. Which is what he was doing at the end of his tenure in Tennessee, too. So, right. Should have been expected. Made one Super Bowl and then 9-7. and seven. He, uh... He was fired from the job as head coach of the Los Angeles Rams in 2016. And since then, his only position has been an advisor at Tennessee State in Nashville, the HBCU there. Mm-hmm. Now taking over as head coach and general manager for the Michigan Panthers. We joke that they're, you know, you can expect this to be your 500 team in the USFL. But realistically, I think it's a great hire. Oh, yeah. I, I have him up there as probably the best hire in the league. We'll see how it works out, though. The biggest name in the league, I'll give you that. We'll see how he works out. It's been a, quite a while since he've had, he's had actual success as a head coach. But at the same time, he's not bad, right? So I like it. There's a lot of publicity that will come with it. And I'm glad to see him get back into coaching. That assistant job that uh, – I don't know what you would really call a consulting job, basically, for Eddie George at Tennessee State. I saw it as a move to get back into coaching eventually. I like this move a lot. The He's not a college enjoys, guy, but he wasn't getting back in the NFL. So this was part the man. The man enjoys fishing, but at some point, you think you've caught every fish you can. You want to get back to the other thing you know. So Tell that to my dad. When he retires, he'll be on the ocean every day. <laughs> Moving on to our next hire here for the New Orleans Breakers, Larry Fedora. Man, this could be a a ska band name. I'm not even going to lie to you, but this is is his (laughs) real God-given name. I love it. Uh, Playing career, played at Austin College, which if I look this up is probably D2 if I had to guess. D3? Oh, come on. Never heard of them before in my life. D3. D3 Austin College. Most D2 schools, you're at least like, that sounds like an actual school that exists. D3 schools, you're like, wow, this must be another dimension entirely. That should, that has no right to be a university with a football team. So I want to, there you go. Austin College. Austin College. I want to throw this out here too. (laughs) I want to throw this out here too. There's a movie, Division 3. And I don't remember what the tagline is, but it's something along the lines of they're superstars and then there's these guys. Like, it's fantastic. <laughs> if you if you can find it, I didn't get a chance to watch it before it got ripped off Netflix. Um, but, hey, you know, definitely give it a look if you can. Anyway, anyway Larry Vidora. <laughs> so... Two years, uh, two years after his playing career was finished, uh, he went back to Austin College as a grad assistant, coached at a little high school in Texas, Garland High School, as an assistant coach. Little, I say, I say, little, <laughs> yeah. 
Probably a football powerhouse. Anyway, uh, oh, yeah. he then then went to uh, Baylor for five years, wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs coach. And then Tug, he went to your alma mater, Air Force, passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach, which is comical to me, but, you know, it is what it is. Moved to MTSU as offensive coordinator. Hmm. Hold, held a plethora of positions at the University of Florida run game coordinator, pass game coordinator, offensive coordinator, and the whole time he was running backs and wide receivers coach. Then from 2005-2007, he was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State before moving to Southern Miss to be a head coach again from 08 to 2011. Then going to North Carolina most recently, 2012-2018. He was at Texas as an analyst in 2019, and in 2020, he was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Baylor. Hasn't done anything since, but got the call to come coach the New Orleans Breakers. No note on if he is going to be the general manager as well. I'm inclined to think that he will be. I've seen a handful of these guys have, you know, it says both positions and some of them it doesn't. But I also don't see anything with a separate page for a general manager of team X, Y, or Z, right? So going to be interesting. He's got quite a pedigree, nothing in the pro level yet. This is going to be his first venture there. Yeah, and I had no idea he came back to Baylor so recently. That's interesting to me. But yeah, That's what I if, said. if you follow recruiting at all, you've heard of Garland. That is a massive high school. And I know. To make the jump to Baylor, oh my gosh, you better be at a big cool, a big high school for that, for that to work out. <laughs> it was a long road. But yeah, I remember seeing him listed as an Air Force coach and thinking. Wow, um, how does that make sense? Didn't Air Force, I don't know, always suck at throwing the ball naturally <laughs> by the way that they operate? And the answer is yes. So the fact he got out of that as an actual candidate for things should be a pretty good sign. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> when but, you know, you yeah, know. I like Larry Fedora, but Jeff Fisher is obviously the bigger name here. That's a huge get for them, really. Yeah, obviously, seeing Jeff Fisher's name, yeah, that's that's a big win for the USFL. Larry Fedora made me giggle at first, but once I started looking into him, I was like, man, this is this is another good get. This league's shaping up very nicely. I can't help but get more and more excited for it. Man, I, I can't I can't wait for April. And I say that we've still got conference championship games to talk about we still got the super bowl in a couple weeks to talk about and even you know breeze through the pro bowl and all that fun stuff but before we get to any of that man we got some college news to talk about right we do i'll try to keep this pretty brief first thing up we just talked about Derek mason resigning abruptly from auburn as their defensive coordinator well, he got a new job like the next day as a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. I don't know what happened there. Maybe maybe he got the offer and didn't want to – I don't know. I don't know why he resigned and then took the job. If it was already lined up, that's, that's kind of weird. The kind of press conference that he had made it sound like he was comfortable walking away for a minute, but then – the offer was too good to pass up, I guess. I don't know. 
it's tough. Like any any theory I really you know put through my head here, it's it all ends with well, Oklahoma State's not going to the SEC anyway. Right. So why you know? And they already had the best defense in the Big Twelve. So well, Jim Knowles coming to Ohio State, there was a hole there, and maybe Oklahoma State's thinking we get an SEC guy running our defense. We can solidify being the best defense in the Big 12 for the foreseeable future. Let's get Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, BYU in here and show them how a real defense operates out in the Big 12. That's words I never thought I'd say in my life, but hey, they're <laughs> facing. Uh, one other thing to talk about in college news, the Big 10 is apparently tossing around some ideas to – really fundamentally changed the way the season is scheduled for at least for big 10 football teams. This is interesting to me. And I want to get your opinion on a couple of the ideas being thrown out there. So the first one is that they're considering just getting rid of the divisions right now. There's a big 10 East and the big 10 West. The big 10 East has been dominating the big 10 West ever since those divisions were created. There was a big meme floating around actually just recently where the all seven teams in the Big Ten East were ranked higher than the teams in the Big Ten West in recruiting rankings. Like, everything was going towards the Big Ten East. Well, let's get rid of those divisions. Forget that. Let's mingle this back together. You know, Ohio State, you still got to play your Illinois, right? Let's let's get things moving back towards traditional Big Ten scheduling in that way. Also, something thrown out there is reducing the number of conference games from 9 to 8. The SEC is still at 8. The Big Ten used to be at 8. They only went to 9 because they wanted a round robin inside the division plus across, you know, like a... A cross flow, one cross game. Yeah, what I'm a protected rivalry. That's the words I'm looking for. I don't know why that was so hard to find. But that's it's interesting to me, really creating room for some non conference scheduling with the alliance of the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac 12 formed this shady, weird sounding alliance. Maybe the big, they're actually the big trying to, yeah, the big pack attack. Maybe they're actually going to try to schedule some non-conference games between each other, have some kind of Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12 challenge every year. That would be amazing. I don't know how exactly that would work, but I would love that. I think what would be better is if they found a way to shut out the SEC and Big 12 from all this too. The only problem I see with this is Miami and FSU are absolutely going to want to get their hands on Florida every now and then. And then, True. of course, Georgia-Clemson. That's another big outside-of-the-conference rivalry. Georgia-Georgia well, Georgia Tech. South Carolina. Yeah. They, they like playing each other. And Clemson-South Carolina. Man. And then Texas-Oklahoma going to the SEC. I mean, Nebraska probably still wants to play Oklahoma every now and again. So I, I would be interested if they could – if they shut them out to try and force their hand on a few things, and maybe yeah. that's where this is all heading. I don't. Maybe. This is this is a lot of speculation. Don't get me wrong here. 
but that's that's the only thing I can think of of why you would form this alliance. And again, this is a lot of speculation, even just starting out talking about how the Big Ten's gonna be doing their schedule. You gotta think that they're pushing their way, they're gonna start putting their weight together and go one way when the SEC want doesn't want to go that way and force their hand. I don't I don't see any other way for this to really play out, if that makes sense. Right. Right. This is strange to say the least. But I want to get your thoughts on getting rid of the divisions. What do you think about that? And what do you think? Do you, have you heard of the pod structure? Like, is, is there a better system that you would have in mind? Or just get rid of it, have the two best teams play each other in the conference championship game? Just leave it alone. Well, okay. So, for instance, you know, we already talked about it. If they do want to force the SEC's hand, it's going to be tough. Because I think the best example is going to be Florida out of the SEC and their rivalry with Miami and Florida State because it's pretty mm-hmm. iconic. You know, those are four or three really big schools, especially in the college football landscape. So let's say they're all in the same conference. Now, I don't see any reason that FSU would be the only one that would maybe end up in a different division. Maybe Miami ends up in a different division than FSU and Gainesville or Florida, rather. Having that protected rivalry, kind of like how the Big Ten's been doing it, where you only play one team from the other division, it makes it stale. It makes it bland. And even if you were able to restructure the divisions so that they're not uh, geographic-based, like I know they mentioned the the Legends and I don't remember what the other division the was. Old, when they, the old set of the Legends and Leaders. Yeah, terribly ill-fated but you know right and i don't know if that would work better and that way you make sure all the rivalries are in one division and all the rivalries are in the other and then you can cross wherever you want i think the pod structure might be better that way you even if you have protected rivalry in a different pod you still get to play more than just the teams in your pod and that or just the teams in your division and that one rival you get to play the teams in your pod that rival and then another pod and it rotates, right? So I would almost prefer to see that happen and we might quasi see that anyway. Like there's no way we're going to see a, a Big Ten schedule that doesn't have Michigan-Ohio State the last week of the season. Like right. that's just never going to happen anyway. So we're, we're kind of going to get an unofficial pod structure or maybe they'll just go to a pod structure anyway and we'll, you know, we'll know for sure what's going to happen every year. Right, we're going to have the game. We're going to have Paul Bunyan's axe. We're going to have, you know, a little brown jug. A couple of things that just are going to happen. So, messing with the schedule, yeah, maybe it's all semantics. Who knows? It's certainly interesting to see the big pack attack try and throw some weight around here finally. Maybe something's coming to this. Again, nothing is official at all. So, I don't know. Who knows? And and here's hoping, right? Here's hoping that something happens. Here's hoping one we can other, get something done. One other interesting point, again, total speculation here, but if the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 actually do try to do some kind of, like, big pack attack challenge here, like what college basketball does with the Big Ten ACC challenge every year, right, the number one plays the number one, number two plays the number two at each conference. Well, the Pac-12 is only at 12 teams, right? 
the Big Ten and ACC are both at 14 teams. Would you force the Pac-12 to expand here to make that actually work? And if you tried to expand the Pac-12, who would actually want to join the Pac-12 right now? Because apparently Boise State and the Pac-12 don't get along. And even though everyone wants that to happen, it's just not going to for some reason. Boise State was closer to joining the Big 12 than they were ever close to joining the Pac-12 at any point, apparently. So who do you get? One option I threw out in the notes here that I actually like a lot, maybe they try to go like San Diego State and UTEP. Again, total speculation here. This is just fan theories. It's fun. I, I like San Diego State the most, honestly. I think that's – it makes sense, and they've definitely been right. making strides, not just in football, but in all their sports, in a direction that, yeah, the Pac-12 would make perfect sense, and location makes perfect sense soon, too. UTEP would be fun. It is a little bit far away, but they do have you know, the schools in Arizona and Utah and Colorado, and El Paso is – a lot closer to those schools than it is to Louisiana. Texas is really, really big. So <laughs> I don't know if UTEP's even ready for that. I mean, Tug here is saying Air Force to the Pac-12. I, I knew that was going to come. Not, it's not I knew that happen. was coming. I knew it was it, coming. It, it's not going to happen. Colorado State's not going to happen. Utah State's not going to happen. Wyoming can't handle that. I don't... There's not too many options, is my point. I don't know that Utah State is as far out there as maybe you think, unless they are against adding another school in a state that already has a Pac-12 team like the SEC is, which wouldn't well, make sense because the Pac-12, by definition. Yeah, they're ve- and they're very constricted. They have Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State. Well, there's Auburn and Alabama. Right. Right. In Alabama, there's there. Tennessee and Vanderbilt. Like they just don't want to add more teams there. So right. I don't I haven't heard anything about the Pac twelve being like that anyway. So maybe Utah State can be a punching bag. Are there any private schools worth the shit out there? It, I, I it's definitely not gonna be UNLB. All right. We can throw that one out there as much as right. they might want to move into Vegas. That's not gonna happen. Honestly, Nevada wouldn't be too far out there based on their on-field success in the past 10 years, but based on yeah. literally everything else, they make zero sense. So, who knows? <laughs> just, there aren't too many good options if the Pac-12 actually wanted to expand. It's, it makes for some weird conversations if you actually wanted to try to go down a like a conference challenge route. Maybe your maybe your thirteen and fourteenth team there gets a schedule in FCS school instead. Maybe they <laughs> give them a break. We'll try to get you some bowl eligibility. <laughs> yeah, Vandy and Illinois and uh, man, Rutgers you usually. Know, um, yeah, usual suspects here. Used to be Wake Forest, but not anymore. <laughs> what do we know? Well, let's let's get out of college news. This is a very NFL-heavy episode, and we have more NFL to talk about here. Namely, the conference championship games. Holy cow, we're already conference championship week. We have two incredible matchups here to talk about. And, boy, howdy, let's go ahead and dive on in. 
Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. I mean, we're gonna start in the AFC just because alphabetical order of conference name here. Not just not because of how these games are going down in real time. Because the Bengals and Chiefs actually play on Sunday, 49ers and Rams. We're gonna get to them second, even though they are playing on Saturday. As you're listening to this, and uh, kind of helps build the suspense. If you're a podcast listener, you got to wait to the very end to see uh, see our analysis of the first game of the week. Or you can watch us on Twitch live at Big Dudes in the Trenches and get some info a little bit faster. That's on you hey. at this point. We're live. Hey, your call. Uh, so, Bengals Chiefs, man. Unreal. Nobody expected this matchup. Let's, let's throw that out there. Uh, the beginning of the year, I don't know too many people who would have picked the Bengals to even finish in the top half of the AFC, let alone be one of the last two teams standing. Not only that, they won the division at 10 and 7 and then yeah. came out and showed they have some real stuff about them in the playoffs here. Now, the Raiders was a favorable matchup for the Bengals, I would say. The Titans wasn't, so they've, they've certainly made their case here that they belong in the conversation as one of the real, potentially long-term you know, contenders in the AFC here. And I'll, I'll throw this out here too. While the Chiefs did get the number two seed early in the season, I think people probably still thought they're going to the playoffs. Yeah. I don't think there were too many people thinking they're going to have the success that they have had, right? That something Not was based on the first couple of games. Something right about that. Off. So, but I do want to give you guys a little bit of like how they got here for these teams and then hand it back to bug for, you know, some like strengths, weaknesses, a little bit of analysis here. And we're going to do that for the NFC too. We're starting with the AFC obviously. So how did the Bengals get to where they are here? Uh, like we said already, 10, seven, they won their division. This is head coach Zach Taylor's third season with the team. His first winning season though, with the team went from four and 11 bottom of the division all the way to number one. Pretty awesome. That's what you get when you have a healthy quarterback. Um, let's talk about 1,000-yard contributors for the Bengals here. Obviously, Joe Burrow, uh, 4,600 yards passing, 70% completions. Kind of amazing. Joe Mixon, your, your favorite at this point. Got to call him that. 1,500 yards from scrimmage. Pretty awesome. Um, actually, quite a bit of that is receiving yards, too. So, Joe Mixon... Definitely had an impact in all phases of the game this year. Jamar Chase, one of the best rookies. I don't know. Best rookies his... we've seen in some time. I mean, I think it's fair to say any position at this point. Just want that. What a crazy rookie season. His uh, his comments early in the season scared a lot of people, too. Or in preseason, rather. Having right. a hard time seeing the ball. and Wish they had those man. white stripes on them. Oh, man. Like, everybody was like, he did not just fucking say that. Like... That's almost worse than the Sam Darnold. I'm seeing a ghost out here. Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> almost worse. I mean, it's they're neck and neck for me. But <laughs> uh, T. Higgins also cleared a thousand yards. I was surprised when I actually saw that. But T. Higgins was definitely the number two target for the vast majority of the season. You know, CJ Uzama was favorite target at times 
but T. Higgins was a pretty consistent force out there, honestly. Pretty impressive. I do want to highlight some defensive contributors as well. The big free agent signing, Trey Hendrickson, had 14 sacks this season. I did not expect that out of him. But, man, get him in a defense of his own. Get him out of New Orleans, and he can tear things up, apparently. Uh, Sam Hubbard on the other side. When, you know, when people are trying to block Trey Hendrickson, leave Sam Hubbard open, seven and a half sacks for him. A little bit of a career year for the Ohio State product. Logan Wilson, one of my favorite linebackers in his draft class. Tearing things up. 100 tackles, four interceptions for him. Classic middle linebacker. I love middle linebackers. Who doesn't? (laughs) And they have a crazy safety duo. Crazy young, too. Von Bell, Jesse Bates are both sensational at safety. I don't know why New Orleans let Von Bell go. But Cincinnati benefits here. And they better not let Jesse Bates walk. I think right now he's on a tag. So they need to re-sign him for real. Because, man, that's... Other than Trey Hendrickson, this safety duo is the best part of that defense. I can tell you exactly why Von Bell isn't in New Orleans anymore. The cap situation. Which is also probably why Sean Payton said, fuck this, I'm out. Uh, Kansas City, how did they get here? Uh, 12 and 5, first place in their division. Second seed in the AFC, right? This is Andy Reid's ninth season with the team. That doesn't even sound right. Actually, every year he's been in Kansas City has been a winning season. That's pretty awesome. Love to see it. Gross. Just <laughs> gross. Uh, thousand yard contributors for this offense, Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, the quarterback's going to be on this list. But uh, Patrick Mahomes had a pretty awesome year, 4,800 yards, 66% completions. Uh, drop in touchdowns from his MVP year for sure, but 37 still nothing to sneeze at. Tyreek Hill, 1,300 yards. Travis Kelsey, 1,100 yards. And Daryl Williams, over 1,000 yards. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is not on this list. It's Daryl Williams instead. Pretty interesting to me. I, I I thought Clyde Edwards-Alaire had a bigger impact than he did, apparently. Well, that's always kind of been the knock on CEH as well, is just he had that great game against the Texans last year, and right. duh, it's the Texans, right? <laughs> but what what else has he really done? He's just He wasn't a ton at LSU, and right. he's had flashes. He's certainly had flashes, and... You know, I'll get into, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into CH as much, but. Daryl Williams I, is definitely a consistent running back, and he's like yeah. a solid workhorse guy you can rely on. He's just, he's not the kind of guy who's going to break away and give you a big play either. Understandable, he's right on that 1,000-yard borderline. Defensive yeah. contributors for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Nick Bolton, my favorite linebacker in last year's draft class. 112 tackles, a middle linebacker, man. What can I say? Uh, Tyron Matthew, I mean, we've talked about the Honey Badger quite a bit on this show in various episodes. We love the guy. 76 tackles on the year, three interceptions, one interception return for a touchdown as well. Three fumble recoveries. Pretty impressive. Guy has given the Chiefs the ball 
six different times. Tyron Matthews responsible for. Uh, Chris Jones on that line is the only good part of that line. Let's be real. Nine sacks for him. One forced fumble and fumble recovery for Chris Jones. And I like to shout out Legarius Sneed. He's kind of been up and down at times, but I like his potential a lot at corner. 76 tackles for him, two interceptions, eight passes defended on the season. And a fumble recovery in there as well. Legarius Sneed is a developmental piece, but I like him a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... You mentioned Tyron Matthew being a strength on the defense, and I 100% agree. He did return to full practice today, so it's looking good for his return. Before I get into a ton of analysis here, though, we got to talk about some strengths and weaknesses for both of these teams. Cincinnati, I mean, seriously, I part of the premise of the show is that there's more to a football team than just the quarterback. We do end up talking about the quarterbacks a lot, and it's hard not to, especially with right. the way the league has gone. Right. Ball gets snapped, it goes to the quarterback, and there's not so much handoff and toss to the running back anymore. There is a ton of passing. Joe Burrow's passing numbers are great. What's even better to me is his tenacity, right? To get hit that many times last week against the Titans and still lead your team to a win. I, I don't I don't know how much you can say he's not the biggest strength on this Bengals team. And I said it earlier in the week, I'll say it again. When they're when they fix their offensive line, they're going to be scary. One hundred percent. For Kansas City, though, I know everything I just said, you would expect me to say Patrick Mahomes. And to a large degree, he is a big strength of this team, but I think the biggest strength is their receiving core. And much like when you look at Tampa Bay when everybody was healthy and Antonio Brown was still there, yeah, Tom Brady's great. But you had to say most of the strength was that receiving core because you couldn't just block or guard everybody. It's the same thing for Kansas City, Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, Daryl Williams coming out of the backfield, even CEH coming out of the backfield. And then you add in, oh, yeah, Travis Kelsey is one of the top two or three uh, tight ends, receiving tight ends in the league right now. If not number Re- one. Yeah, I mean, it's – what do you, how are you going to block everybody? Or how are you going to guard everybody? And that's – I mean, right. we saw it in 13 seconds. It was a big issue for the Bills last week. Speaking of 13 seconds, real quick. Love the move by the Kansas City fans. Donated in $13 increments to a Buffalo Children's Hospital. You know, the weaponized charity giving, I appreciate quite a bit. A big staple of Buffalo. And to have it, to have somebody return the favor to that fan base, pretty cool to see. And $13 increments in favor in uh, honor of the 13-second game-tying drive. Pretty fun. And the best part of all this, the kids are the ones that end up winning. So you can't right. be – right. even if you're a Bills fan, you can't be mad about that. I will say, though, this leads us straight to our weaknesses. And it's very obvious what the biggest weakness <laughs> for Cincinnati is. You let your quarterback get sacked nine times in a playoff game. Right. Wow. God, you know, normally you hear about quarterbacks buying their old lines, steak dinners, watches. 
<laughs> I don't even want to know what his O line is paying him for covering right. their ass for that game. Right. Unreal. So maybe at most Joe Burrow's giving them like a tub of popcorn. I mean, <laughs> thanks for trying. At least you tried. Right. You know, he just right. throws it in the trash can and said, "I look." I, it's brutal, and they're going to have a big task. I don't. I would put the Titans front seven. They're in the top half of the league. I, I'm I'm trying to decide if I put them even or under the Chiefs, though. I think the Chiefs do have an edge, and that's that's a big concern for me. That's got to be a big and concern for me. Actually, that's rough because I think the Chiefs are one of the worst front sevens in football right now. But. <laughs> Outside of Chris Jones and Nick Bolton, who they have in that front seven. I mean, uh, that's the thing. I don't know the Bengals are going to even, even be able to block them. Fair. Fair. So it's, it's very tough out there. Uh, the weakness for the Chiefs, though, this has been kind of a constant thing. I mean, early in the season, there were pictures of Tyron Matthews standing there with his arms up while the, you know, Sorensen's letting somebody run past him again. The Chiefs' secondary is just not up to par like I don't it's 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 been their biggest weak spot Chiefs fans knew that going into the season everybody's kind of seen it this season here's here's what I'm getting at though if Cincinnati does what Buffalo did down the stretch and they try and play the Chiefs like teams were playing them early in the season they're gonna get burned they're gonna get killed they've got to get pressure on Mahomes we saw how that worked last year against the Buccaneers, making him run for his life. Yeah, he's going to extend the play, and he will get you a few times. It's going to happen. He will make some 40-yard throw while he's in the air, horizontal, uh, no footwork at all. Forget having good footwork or bad footwork. He just cut out his feet from under him. He'll still launch the ball 80 yards downfield and right on target, and then somebody's going to drop it. <laughs> but you do it to them enough, you're going to have the advantage. And that's something that I don't know what the Chiefs are even going to be able to do unless they can sack Joe Burrow 12 times. Like, maybe that's the magic number. And even then, it's it's questionable. He's just based on last week, man, just the way he rebounded from pressure and handling all that. He's got a slight edge over Mahomes there, in my mind at least. Both defenses, based on where they're weak and strong, like it's kind of a wash in my opinion. Secondaries are iffy. There's soft spots in the more soft spots in the Chiefs secondary, I think, than in the Bengals. I'll be surprised if this isn't a shootout. But where I think this game could easily be won is establishing the run game. It's going to be tough for the Bengals. They might have to do some of the things that I've talked about before that I've seen the Bears do where you get a run game by having these short passes out of the backfield to Joe Mixon, something that they've done quite well all season. And even for the Chiefs, they might have to go that route as well. That short run, short out, establishing establishing that early is going to be where this game is won. And – I don't know that either team's going to want to commit to it. That's the scary thing. So, I our score if, predictions. If it's a shootout, it probably favors the Chiefs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If this is a low-scoring game, 
it might still favor the Chiefs. Like, you, for the Bengals to win, they really need to find a right balance here. And mm-hmm. that's, that's crazy difficult. Yeah, and our score predictions kind of all predict a shootout. Tugs, not as much, but I'm taking the Chiefs 49 to 42. Where are you at? I, man, I think this might be actually really close for the first three quarters. And then there's going to be something that pushes this clearly in favor of the Chiefs. I have it going 42 28, which sounds like a big spread, but really, when you think about it, that's like every uh, college football playoff game ever. So that's <laughs> there's it's always like kind of close for a while. Something's going to happen. The Chiefs are really going to get momentum here. This it's not anything knock against the Bengals. I think there is a good chance that you could have the same score the other way. I mean, it's just there's going to be some kind of play. The Chiefs are going to get in a rhythm. So Tug has this one 31-21 also for the Chiefs. All three of us picking the Chiefs here is kind of scary to me. But you know, we're all kind of picking there's going to be some separation, but the Bengals are pretty good. And while Joe Burrow has walked back his comments about SEC stadiums being louder anyway, Chiefs have set the record for loudest stadium at 142 decibels, and I fully expect them to at least hit that, if not go higher, which, by the way, 142 decibels does cause permanent hearing damage. So good luck, Joe Burrow. You can't walk that back at this point. Chiefs fans do not forget. (laughs) And if you're going to this game, maybe bring some earplugs. Protect yourself. (laughs) There you go. So let's go ahead and jump to the NFC here. We're all saying the Chiefs are going to be making it out of the AFC, but the NFC, we have a very different kind of matchup, honestly. 49ers at Rams, wild, wild how this happened. Uh, let's talk about how they got here. So San Francisco, 10-7, and seven, third place in their division. They've made it all the way to the NFC Championship game. This is Kyle Shanahan's fifth season in San Francisco. His only other winning season, this is his second winning season, only other winning season, they did win the NFC Championship game before losing to Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Uh, They had a couple of 1,000-yard contributors here. Obviously, you're going to start with the quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, 3,800 yards, 68% completions, 20 touchdowns to 12 picks. There were a few games where Trey Lance was a starter. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play the whole year as per usual. But when he was on, he was good enough, right? It's kind of been the narrative. Debo Samuel is the huge one, though. 1,770 yards from scrimmage. A nice little mix of receiving and rushing yards for him here. 14 total touchdowns from Debo Samuel. If anybody's going to beat San Francisco, it's going to be by stopping Debo Samuel from doing anything. Elijah Mitchell is the only other 1,000-plus yard contributor on this offense with 1,100 yards. I was shocked that George Kittle didn't make it, but he didn't. That's sucks to suck, I guess. I'm a, I'm a little surprised Ayuk didn't make it, but we've talked yeah. about this. He, was, he got off to a slow start. That was kind of expected. You didn't highlight him here, but he's definitely picked up, and I think he's going to end up helping the 49ers more than – probably we're giving him credit for right here well just purely statistically he didn't make meet the cutoff 
thousand yard. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Defensive contributors. This is a little bit more subjective, but uh, I'm trying to do what I can here. Fred Warner is one of the best middle linebackers in the game. Love to see three straight traditional middle linebackers in these playoffs. Uh, Fred Warner had 137 tackles on the year, three fumble recoveries, and four passes defended. So he can do it all. Pretty awesome. Fred Warner is sensational. Obviously, if you haven't like sat down and watched Fred Warner specifically, you're missing out. He is amazing. Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, kind of say both of them together. Two ends of that defensive line. Nick Bosa, sensational, man. 15 and a half sacks for him. Eric Armstead is a little bit less of a pass rusher. Usually a little bit more of the run stuffer on the other end. 63 tackles for him. Six sacks as well. I mean, Eric Armstead's still pretty, pretty dang good. Jimmy Ward has had a pretty great season as well. 77 tackles for him. Two interceptions. One pick six for him. Six passes defended. Really, other than him, not too much going on in that secondary. Got a little bit of inconsistency there. But Jimmy Ward was a stable presence and a pretty solid one at that. Uh, you just got click happy and had 777 tackles. And I was like, how is this, how is this guy winning the MVP? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, why does anybody have the ball that long that you can have 777 tackles? <laughs> right? Seventy-seven is good enough. Um, for Los Angeles, how did they get here? Well, they won that same division, twelve and five, also out of the NFC West. This is Sean McVay's fifth year. The, the real contrast for head coaches: Sean McVay has never had a losing season. Pretty, pretty wild, actually, considering most of those years he had Jared Goff. 1,000-yard contributors for the Los Angeles Rams. Actually, only two on this offense that cleared 1,000 yards. Matthew Stafford threw for 48-86, 67% completions for him there. 41 touchdowns, 17 picks. The picks started piling up later in the season. But 41 touchdowns, pretty dang good. And Cooper Cup, 1,965 yards from scrimmage. I think like 12 of them are rushing yards, so I wanted to include that too. 16 total touchdowns for Cooper Cup. What a season he had. But nobody even else across yards. Even better stat, the only guy with more receiving yards in a season than Cooper Cup, guess who his quarterback was? Matthew Stafford. There you go. And and as far as the you know 1,000 yards go, I, who else? I mean, he threw like – Almost half of his, or probably a fifth at this point, but he threw all those passes to Cooper Cup. Who else was he going to throw to, right? Nobody else was going to be able to eclipse a thousand yards, I guess, as far as receiving goes. And then Cam Akers missed most of the season. Sony Michelle got brought in late, and Daryl Henderson was hurt most of the season. So that's why you don't have any rushing contributors here. It's not that they had a, a huge right. There's no lack of weapons to running, but it's yeah. it's still is interesting. That's that's all I'm saying. Uh, we'll say I did some little bit of math. Uh, Sony Michelle and Daryl Henderson, if you combine them, you basically get a whole season out of a running back room there, and you had like 1,800 rushing yards. So yeah. they are very good at running the football. It's just nobody had 1,000 yards other than these two guys. Uh, defensive contributors, the two biggest names, Jalen Ramsey, 
and Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is perennial defensive player of the year candidate. This year, not so much with only 12 and a half sacks. I say only because we've seen some more amazing numbers out of him. But 12 and a half as a defensive tackle or maybe a rush defensive end at times is, yeah, it's really good. Uh, 84 tackles for him as well. Wow. Uh, four forced fumbles. Yeah, Aaron Donald's good at football. What did you expect? Jalen Ramsey is too. 77 tackles for him. Four interceptions. One forced fumble and fumble recovery. Love to see it. The big one that kind of made this defense really click, Leonard Floyd turning it on as much as he has. Still had a fantastic season this year as well. Nine and a half sacks, 70 tackles overall. An interception in there and a forced fumble and fumble recovery. Doing a little bit of everything for this defense. Leonard Floyd, man, I know it's got to be a little bit of remorse seeing him not do that in Chicago. (laughs) I didn't want him to leave in the first place, so fuck you, Ryan Pace. And just like I highlighted for the Bengals, this this safety duo for the Rams is even younger and even better. Jordan Fuller and Taylor Rapp are 23 and 22 years old, respectively. And I firmly believe that within the next five years, we're going to be seeing these guys as the top safeties, two of the top five safeties in the NFL. Don't die on me there. <laughs> I'll take it away from here, though, while you try to, to save yourself. You know, I looking at strengths, it'd be really easy for me to get on here and say that Los Angeles' biggest strength is their front seven. I don't think anybody's going to challenge me on that. I think it's absolutely – I won't say absolutely true. It's absolutely valid. I do think, however, that it is the biggest strength for the San Francisco 49ers. Now, the reason that's important is because you got to get pressure on Matt Stafford. you got to stop Cam Akers before it gets in open space. And for that matter, Sony Michelle, my biggest strength for the Los Angeles Rams is Cooper Cup. The reason I say that – you know, we've we've seen in these playoffs he can kill you or he can distract you. And then who else do they got? Odell Beckham Jr. And he's looked great in this offense, man. It's it's unbelievable. So Cooper Cup, to me, is by far and away the biggest strength that the Rams have right now. And I don't know that he has a real shot. I don't know if he breaks Calvin Johnson's record if he has a real shot. He's my MVP. I'm just saying it. Bigness weaknesses here. San Francisco, it's the run game. I need to pull up this injury report here. Look, it's not it's not been pretty. They had Debo Samuel running the ball out of the backfield. I what how are you how are you supposed to win that way? Right. Eliza Mitchell, fortunately, returned to practice. They need him. They absolutely need him, and they can't afford to have him go out. I know my heart stopped a little bit when I saw him go off the field in that Packers game, and I'm not even a 49ers fan. And I don't hate the Packers that much that I was like, oh, my God, if they win this game, my life's over. You know, like, it's – they've – man. They've they've got to have Eliza Mitchell in this game. 
the Rams' biggest weakness is themselves. It's just the, the team as a whole, right? What do I mean by that? Well, if the Rams were uh, going into this game at 13-4, and four, guess who they're not playing? The San Francisco 49ers because they wouldn't have made the playoffs. The Rams absolutely choked that game away. And then last week, man, there was some luck there, right? They had no reason to win that game after how it went down the stretch. They yeah, choked you, it away. The only the team football- to survive a Tom Brady comeback, <laughs> she feels like. I mean, how? How? <laughs> they they survived the football gods is really what happened. That's all there is to it. I mean, Cooper Cup, God just mentioned, had his first fumble of the entire season in that fourth quarter when the Buccaneers were buzzing. The Rams are trying to get something together. You go to old reliable, you go to Cooper Cup, and what happens? Ball's on the ground. I un, unbelievable. They can't afford to do that again. Because the 49ers capitalized on it last time. They'll capitalize on it again. The reason, the other reason the 49ers were successful is they were able to keep the game manageable, right? They do not have the talent to come back from three touchdowns the way that Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do. They're going to have to keep it one, two possession game, two possession games, even a little bit of a stretch with it being a playoff game back in LA. Man, I have been begging for this rematch since the week 18 matchup. It's beautiful poetry being played out right before us. And yeah, I want to take Los Angeles. Watching their games versus watching the 49ers games, I do think that they're the better team. But I've seen them choke. I've seen San Francisco battle back. They've been playing with a playoff mentality for a little bit here now. I feel like they're more apt to overcome anything here. I'm going to be happy with the outcome either way. I'm excited for the Bengals Chiefs because I'm excited to see the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. Watching Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs play is exciting every time. I'm way more excited for this game, and that's why I'm moving into predictions here. I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with the 49ers. They've been my pick to win the Super Bowl, and I'm taking the 49ers 34-31. to 31. Robbie Gold is going to get it done for him again at the end of the game. And he's going to take the 49ers to the Super Bowl back at SoFi Stadium. So... Yeah, I like what you said there when you said that the Rams really are the better team. Uh, <laughs> let's be real. They are. This is going to be a fantastic game. I think this is probably going to end up being the better game of the two, honestly. Both these teams have a real legitimate shot at winning, but it's going to be close either way. I don't see any – I don't see this being a blowout either direction. I, I really don't. My fear is that we start getting into some real points territory, right? Last week, 13-10, that doesn't happen too often. Mm-hmm. And we're also in good weather this time, so there's going to be some real points scored, right? <laughs> Once you get into real points territory, the lack of any kind of run game and the fact that you're starting Jimmy Garoppolo ends up starting to bite you. Maybe you trade a possession or two, and instead of getting a touchdown, you get a field goal. Okay, well now you're now you're behind the eight ball, and it starts to catch up to you. And so Matt Stafford gets a little bit of ground. The Rams end up winning by four. Here is my prediction: thirty-one twenty-seven. Uh, just 
maybe a couple of drives that the Niners couldn't finish out. But I, I think this is going to be a great game. And then there's Tug. If you're still listening, please defend this. You've got the Rams winning 35-14, to 14, a three-possession win. Look, I could see it, but, man, I'm going to give you a second. I know, I I know, yeah, I know there's a little delay on Twitch. So if you're still with us, you're still watching, you need to come defend this. I'm going to give you a little bit of time here. I, I could see it. I could see it. Absolutely, because the Rams have the offense, the power to do that on offense, and they certainly have the power on defense to stop the 49ers and hold them to 14 points. However, I don't see the 49ers giving up 35 points any more than I see the Rams only allowing 14 in this game. I mean, you say that, but really the 35 you picked, they would score 31. So actually, I did too. I mean, it's not that far off. Gut feeling. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Tug's gut says they're going to win by 21. Okay. I really don't see that. Maybe it is a three-score game, but I'm saying those three scores would be like two safeties and a field goal. I know worth mentioning <laughs> when it opened, Rams were only a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I haven't checked it since Sunday. Only a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I, yeah, I think this one's going to be about that. It's going to be a great game. I would certainly hope so. If we get anything like what happened last week with that wonderful, wonderful divisional round of the playoffs, I'll be certainly happy here. Like you said, though, I'm okay with either of these teams winning. I like both these stories. So to see the Niners and the Rams here in the NFC Championship game, is it's going to be pretty cool. And whichever Super Bowl matchup we end up getting, whatever one of the four possible, I'm absolutely okay with at this point like i don't know about you but i feel like all four of these possible matchups would be really fun to watch i you know it's tough to say what team obviously you know i want the 49ers to go they're my pick but it's tough to say what matchup i want to see the most because the Bengals against anybody is going to be great i almost don't want to see 49ers Chiefs because we've already seen it. I'd rather see Rams Chiefs in the Super Bowl. But, you know, classics, rivalries, they're made in the playoffs, right? 49ers Cowboys has been a classic playoff rivalry that we hadn't gotten Mm -hmm. to see in a few years. And who knows? Chiefs 49ers could end up being a Super Bowl rivalry that'll be looked back on because, (laughs) man, you know, there's no reason the 49ers should be here right now to begin with. And I think – Trey Lance is going to be better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's going to, and if Jimmy Garoppolo can do this, what's going to happen when they get Trey Lance moving? Right. It's it's interesting. I'm excited for it. This is a fantastic time to be a football fan because not only are the games great, they're not going on at the same time, so you can watch all right. of them with ease. So that's that's the beauty of playoff football. People often overlook. So, man, this has been a really long episode. I think we do need to wrap things up here. But it's been also a pretty fantastic one. We got through a lot of stuff. A couple of amazing hirings, a couple of sad retirements, and a great weekend of football to look forward to. This has been all around just a great time talking football with you, man. Glad, Glad to be back on the podcast. Absolutely, dude. And I'm really enjoying doing these live podcasts. And if you're listening 
on wherever whatever you listen to podcasts on go check out our twitch twitch.tv backslash big dudes in the trenches one word there and uh you know if you're on facebook or twitter go give us a follow on twitch we're going to move into doing some football gaming on there as well eventually we're still trying to get all of this set up and moving here for us so definitely don't want to miss out on that if you're watching you've seen all of our other social and website uh, links scrolling across the bottom but if you're listening i'll run them down for you patreon.com backslash bdt football you go there you donate join a tier all that money will go back into making the show better and it'll probably go into help making some of our uh, our gaming streams better for that matter as well twitter.com backslash bdt football or at bdt football on twitter facebook.com backslash bdt football you can also find us milling around in a football world and a couple other football groups from time to time instagram.com a little bit different it's instagram.com backslash bdt underscore football and then of course our website bdtfootball.com and if you want to just email us a question if you can't make the live stream for whatever reason and ask your question live you can email it to us at mailbox at bdtfootball.com. I appreciate everybody that's tuned in to watch today. Anybody that's downloaded and listening, thank you so much. And uh, Doug, I got one question for you. Fire away. How do you fix a broken pumpkin? Uh, probably has something to do with a jack. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm getting a fire. You're, you're on the right track, but it's with okay. a pumpkin patch. Ooh. Oh, got me. Got me. Right in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, man, let's get out of here. What do you say? Tugs thing? Oh, no. Peace out, girl. Yeah. <laughs>